All right, so as I said, we're going to be walking through Psalm 107. Uh, you guys saw it was 43 verses. I promise I won't teach verse by verse through the entire psalm. Okay, we're going to take it in chunks and take it in segments. Uh, so you don't have to run for the door. We're not going to be here for hours uh, to walk through that. But I wanted to read it up front so that we'd have that perspective uh, and, and hear the entire story, the entire piece of Psalm 107 and what's happening there. And I, I thought at first this was going to be a week I kind of would veer off from Hebrews. We'd be on a off topic or it'd be a little bit disconnected. But as I started studying this and I started reflecting back on what we've been talking about even the last two weeks, I realized how connected this is. How God's Word is there to meet us where we're at. God's Word is one word. And we get to see that and experience that today, even as we move to Psalm 107. You'll see in many ways how it connects back to what we've been learning in Hebrews. And so I do just want to start with the first verse. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, because He is good. His faithful love continues forever. And I put a question up for you, because I think it's a question that we might know the answer to in our heads, but sometimes our experience is different. That if God is really good, even though life is really difficult. Is God really good even though life is really difficult? Right? We've been talking about this. We've been talking about walking through. We've been talking about continuing by faith, following Jesus Christ through suffering to glory. That's what the book of Hebrews has been encouraging us to do is to understand how we're continuing by faith with each other. As I thought back through this, Elvis even shared a piece of this last week when he shared his story. He talked about being in El Salvador and life was good, right? And then he talked about being here and life was hard, but, oh yeah, but, but God is still good, right? But God was good in El Salvador, God was good here, even though life was easy there and hard here, right? And, and, and we hear that and we know that, and, and I know we're supposed to think that, but it's not always what I experience or what I feel. Sometimes that seems different than what we see in God's Word. And so for us to agree with that, for us to believe that, verse 1, uh, that we would have faith in the truth of verse 1, it needs to first be heard. We need to understand it. We need to comprehend it. But as we walk with God, then we get to experience it. It changes from just this idea that's out in space or up in our heads and it moves into our lives and we can actually look back to a time where we've experienced and where we know God is good. His faithful love continues forever. And so you can see that experience in verse 2. It says, let those who have been set free by the Lord tell their story. Right? They're telling their experience. He set them free from the power of the enemy. So literally, if we've experienced God, if we've been set free, we've been redeemed, then we're to tell our stories. We're to tell of our experience. We're to tell of God's faithful love and what we've experienced in our lives. 
And here specifically, when it says those who've been set free, it's talking about those who've been redeemed. Those who have been brought out of slavery, as we talked about in Hebrews. Not just forgiven, but they're being restored, right? We've been brought out of slavery. We've been freed by Christ. He came and freed us, and now He's bringing us to this place of honor with the majesty on high. And so not just that we've been free, but we're being restored to this relationship with Him. We have a place in His family as sons and daughters with our Father. The story began because of His faithfulness. Our story continues because of His faithfulness. And then in verse 3, it goes into, begin to tell of these different people's stories. If you remember back when we read a couple weeks ago on the Reflection Sunday, we read Psalm 136. And it was all about God's story, all about His creation, all about what He did and how He brought the Israelites out of Egypt and how He established them. And it said His faithful love endures forever. And now in this psalm, it's the same idea. His faithful love endures forever. But He says, I want those who've been redeemed to tell their story. Their story of my faithful love in their lives. In verse 3, it says, He brought them back from other lands. He brought them back from east and west, from north and south. And we're going to see here in this psalm, there are four very different stories about four very different peoples and four very different situations. But they're all about the faithful love of one God. Their difficulties are different. Their suffering is different. It says they're from the east, the west, the north, the south. And I think for us, as we listen to this, as we consider these stories, we need to think about our stories. That we need to share our stories. And when I say share our stories, I don't just mean this is what my life was like and this is how I met Christ. But he's talking about his faithful love endures forever. Okay? It began. Okay? My life, my story began with Christ. But we're to tell this story of how we're continuing with Christ by faith and his faithful love continues. We're to be telling these stories to each other. And as we share these stories, it'll bring us as a family to a fuller understanding of God's faithful love. I've experienced God's faithful love this way. You've experienced God's faithful love that way. Elvis has experienced God's faithful love in a different way than I could ever have experienced. We heard him share about that last week. I, I can never experience that. But yet, as my part of my family, as my brother, I can hear that. And I can see a bigger picture of God. I can actually share in his experience. And I can see how God's faithful love endures forever. And I can believe that and experience that in a different way. And then as we continue through the difficulty, through the struggling, on our way to glory, then I'm encouraged. Let's, let's keep going. Let's keep going because God is faithful. His love endures forever. And so we're going to walk through briefly these four stories. These are stories that God communicates about His faithful love that continues forever. But instead of looking at each story and reading through it from beginning to end, one after the other, I want to look first about the four stories, what's different. What is it that's distinct? What is it um, that's uh, unique about each story? And you'll see that the difference is all around their problems. And as we read through it, 
Each story, each people from the east, west, north, and south, they all had problems. They all had difficulties. They were all going through suffering. As you look at verse 4 through 9, okay, I'm going to call this the east. Those people from the east. Okay, That's not in the passage, but he talks about the east, the west, the north, the south. And then there's four stories. Okay, So that helps me organize it in my mind. And hopefully that helps you as we kind of look at this. So verse 4 through 9, they were a people that were wandering. They didn't have a place of stability. They didn't have a home. They were looking for something deeper, something to belong to, some type of meaning. They needed community. They needed family. They needed a place where they could raise their children, where they could dig in and where they could grow together. As you look at the next story, verse 10 through 16, it's those that are guilty. They've rebelled against God. And it says they're enslaved. They're chained. And I think here particularly they're chained to the past. They're chained to what I was or who I am or what I've done. And I am weighed down by this guilt and by this shame. And I am enslaved to it and I can't break free from it. I can't move forward from it. And I'm overwhelmed by it. As we go through these, think about which story applies to you. Think about which story you can connect with. So the first, they were wandering. They needed a place to belong. They needed a home. The second, in verse 10 through 16, they were guilty, weighed down by shame and condemnation. And then the third story we see is verse 17 through 22. It says, these people were foolish. That's a strong word in Scripture. They were foolish. Like, they knew, they understood God's Word, but yet they said, no, 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 not your way, God. I understand it fully, but I am not going to follow you. It's my way. Uh, direct disobedience. Not that they fell into sin, not that they were enslaved by this, something they were doing or some, some type of guilt or shame, but they're saying, no, God, I'm going to continue in this. I am a foolish, I've heard your words, but I'm going to continue. And what happens is they destroy themselves. They are destructive to themselves, their own lives, their own health, their own emotions, their own spirit. And then lastly, verse 23 through 32, it's this idea of those out on the sea. It's this idea of life as a journey. They were out on this voyage, we're out moving forward, and they are impacted by the external and the fluctuating situations of life. The ocean moves this way, the waves go high, the waves go low. I'm going to this side, to that side. The boat is tipping back and forth and life feels like this sometimes and I start to feel sick to my stomach. I, I'm walking around like I'm drunk. I can't keep straight. I don't know which direction to go. And they're doing their best to manage the situation. Life is crazy. Life is nuts. But if I try harder, if I get control of things, I can control it all and I can move forward. I'm going to do my best. But on their own, they'll sink. 
Those are the four stories. Those are summaries of those stories. I would encourage you guys to read through this. And think about for yourself. Of which story do you relate to? Not even necessarily before Christ. But as you're walking with Him, how do you feel right now? What's your experience? What's your story? Is it one of these? Is it a combination of these? Do you have a completely different story? This is what it's like. This is what I feel like walking through this life, through difficulty, through suffering. Because these situations were extremely different. Four different stories, four different problems. But we see a pattern. We see something that's consistent. And so I want to look at what's consistent in each of those stories. First, it was consistent how they responded to their problems. Four different people, four different problems, four different situations, but they all cried out to God. They all cried out to God. It didn't matter how bad, how, what level their difficulty was, what level their problems, they weren't comparing their problems with each other. They all were in a situation of difficulty, of suffering, of problems, and they all cried out to God. The next verse is verse 6, verse 13, verse 19, and verse 28. Okay? In each of the stories, the same verse is repeated. It's the response of all of these people to their problems. It says, Then they cried out to the Lord because of their problems, and He saved them from their troubles. Are we willing to cry out? Are we willing to cry out and as we've been talking about through Hebrews, admit we're helpless. I, I can't do this. This is not about me. No matter how hard I try, no matter how much I control, no matter what I do, I can't get past this. I can't break free. I can't find direction. I can't find my own place to belong. I'm hurting myself. I, I don't do what I want to do. I'm foolish. I know what's right and I don't do it. But they cried out for help. Will we cry out for help? Will I cry out for help? In my week, in my days, will I cry out for help? Will I admit I'm in a place of helplessness? The next thing we see is their consistency with how God responded. They cried out, and then God responds with faithful love. And the first, those who were wandering and longing, He gives them a place to make their homes, a place where they can share life together, where they can be in His presence, where they can have community. They can share life together. God gave them, God responded with His faithful love by giving them a home. In the second, they were guilty. They were full of shame, weighted down. It says He brought them out of darkness and He broke their chains. He gave them freedom from their guilt and from their shame. He responded with His faithful love. And the third story from the north, those that were foolish, they had ruined their lives. He doesn't just give them forgiveness or pardon, but He gives them restoration. 
It wasn't just you're forgiven. But it's you're forgiven and I'm going to restore your life. It was not just pardon. It was a holistic restoration of their entire life. I'm going to start to put you back together. I'm going to start to make you new. I'm going to start to restore you. I don't care about your past. It's not going to weigh you down. You're not going to continue to act this way. I'm going to restore you and heal you completely, emotionally, physically, spiritually. In every way, that's how God is restoring us. That's how He responds here. And then last, those that were in the storms of life, God removes the storm. He removes what was impacting them. Or He gives them the endurance to continue. And shows them which direction to go. This is how to navigate life. Navigate life with me. I'm going to be with you. The, the storm might be removed. It might not. But I am going to be with you. And you, I am with you. You are with me. We're going to move forward together. This is the direction you're going. Trust me and trust my faithful love. Are you willing to thank him in the middle of all that? Are we willing to thank him and worship him in the middle of the difficulty? He's been faithful. He continues to be faithful. We continue to be being brought to glory. He's not stopped doing that. He's continuing our story. His faithful love continues forever. Do we believe that even in the middle of our experience of difficulty and suffering? Because if we did, we would respond with gratitude, with worship. The last thing that is consistent is that. They all had problems. They were very different, very unique problems, but they all cried out to God. After crying out to God, God responded in every situation. And after God responded in every situation, they all respond with thanksgiving. They all respond with worship. Again, verse 8, verse 15, verse 21, verse 31. You see this verse repeated in each of the stories. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His faithful love. Let them give thanks for the wonderful things He does for people. Sometimes I'm not willing to thank Him. I'm not. No, no lo estoy. I don't have the right perspective. No tengo la I'm focused on my difficulty, Porque my situation, how I feel, what I've got to do, am I going to fix this? And in that situation, we've got to stop. I've got to stop. And I need to cry out to God. You need to cry out to God. He'll respond. And then we can thank Him and worship. And I know this is something that's difficult, but I want us to reflect now. I've got a, um, a video uh, of a song that I want us to listen to. It's got subtitles uh, in Spanish. And the name is Though You Slay Me. Though You Slay Me. 
Let me read to you the, the chorus that's repeated. It says, though you slay me, yet I will praise you. Though you take from me, I will bless your name. Though you ruin me, still I will worship. Sing a song to the one who's all I need. I want you to consider your trouble right now. Consider your problems. Consider your difficulty. Consider what you're suffering through. It might not be one event. It might be a long-term thing. It might be that you feel like you're on the ocean. You, you don't know which way to go. You feel drunk. It might feel that you're weighted down by your guilt and shame. It could be that you're trapped in sin. It could be that you just feel so lonely and you're wandering and you need a place to belong. You need a home. You need a family. God wants to respond. And so what I want us to do is I want us, as we listen to this, I want us to cry out. I want us to ask God for help. And I want us, as this song takes us, is to praise Him to respond in worship. Wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, to walk through that process and to respond in worship. So let's sit. We'll sit quietly. And this song will play and we'll continue when it's done. So first of all, I apologize for making you guys listen to two white middle-aged men. <laughs> sing, and an old white pastor from the south preach. But that speaks to me. That has helped me. That has encouraged me. That's encouraged me and my wife. As we continue, And seek to believe and seek to experience. God, you are faithful. Your love is faithful. When I don't feel it, when I don't desire to continue, when we want to give up, that's what I want to remember. That's what I want to sing. And I want to encourage us that your singing and your worship and your thankfulness to God it doesn't have to be from a place where everything feels great, God, I'm so thankful. It can be still from a place of brokenness, still from a place of this is difficult, this is hard. But in the midst of that, I'm going to cry out. In the midst of that, I'm going to believe. In the midst of that, I'm going to thank you. Because I know you've been faithful, and I know you are faithful, and I know you will be faithful. And we need to hear those stories to continue. We need to hear each other's stories to continue. The last verse says, Let those who are wise pay attention to these things. Let them think about the loving deeds of the Lord. That was my hope for this morning that we would hear God's stories and that we would even share our own stories and that we would think about these things, about the loving deeds of the Lord 
about how his love is faithful. And we need that from each other. As we do that, we're encouraged to continue. And as I said, I wanted you to think about your own story. Which one right now or in the past that you relate to the most, right? Of the four different stories or maybe your own story is unique. For me, as I studied this, um, Nita and I are, have been and are going through just a time as I've shared with some of you. I'm just discouraged. I'm just, uh, I'm having difficulty continuing. That's the reality. And we've both been in that place. And I've shared that with some of you and, and, and not knowing what it is and not knowing what's specific. And it's not that there's one big specific situation that's hard or difficult. And as I read this and I studied this, I saw the last story and that's what I feel like. <laughs> Just tossed to and fro, bam, bam, this, that, this, that. Nothing terrible, but the waves just crash. The waves push us this way. The waves push us that way. And I just confess I'm exhausted. And I'm exhausted because I've been trying to control it. I've been trying to take care of it myself. I've been too prideful to cry out. Too prideful to say, God, I need your help. I believe you have asked us to walk in this. I believe you've asked us by faith to continue. And yet, I'm doing it all on my own. I won't cry out for help. And that's how I feel. And so my wife had been reading in the Psalms and she began to share these different Psalms with me about His faithful love and how it continues forever. And specifically 107. Look at these stories. Look at what God has done and look at what He is doing and, 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 and shouldn't we think about our own stories and shouldn't we think about how God has been faithful to us and shouldn't we share those stories and be encouraged by those stories and we started to we were in this place not a great place and yet we started to talk about our story where God had been what God had done the people that had been involved, the different situations, and nothing in my situation changed. But my perspective did. I look back at what God had done, how He's shown up, how He has been involved in the good and the bad, and different people in different situations, and I was overwhelmed with His faithful love. To think about how He's cared for me. To think about how He's cared for my wife. To think about how He's cared for us as a church. And so we shared with our household community. That day. Was that morning we were walking through that? That night, we're like, we're sharing, we're sharing. We've got to share this. We've got to talk about this. Like, we're so encouraged by this. And we want to share with everyone else. And so this morning, briefly, I want to share. And I'm going to ask my wife to come up. Because this is what we've processed through. And as we thought about our story, and as I share our story, we started to see how this was connected to this, and this was connected to that, and this thing from way back here, almost 20 years ago when we met, we're actually experiencing a result of that today. And something that God did, and someone God put in our lives. And we just started to talk through all this stuff, and we realized all these connections. We're like, we've got to try to put this down on 
some type of media and some type of, you know, write it down. And so I want to briefly, we're going to tell our story. I'm going to do my best to not tell over my wife. Because that's what I tend to do. But I want to have the story focused on the church, on Living Stones. We're here, right? This moment. Everyone in this room right now is connected to this story of God's faithful love in our lives. Everyone here. And you might think, well, I know how that began. You guys actually had a relationship with Cornerstone, and through this relationship with Cornerstone, you planted a church. That's easy to see how this happened. But these are a few of the things that happened. Every circle is a situation and with people in it, with experiences, with difficulties, with great things, with bad things. And you can see all of the green lines. Those are just the ways that we could see how they connected. And there are many, many more connections. I had lots more things on this and I had to bring it down so we could just share this morning. But, to go back, I want my wife to start with her house. Okay, I, I do want to say um, that this might be boring for you. <laughs> um, depending on how much you've invested here at Living Stones and how much you feel apart. Um, but that it would be a model, that it would be just an offering um, because your own story won't be boring to you. And your own story is what you is what you are supposed to practice to share. It's your testimony. And who's going to argue with you about your testimony and what God has done with you and for you and, um, and what a wonderful way to, um, to share how God has loved you in your life. Um, as, I, as I was reading the Psalms, I saw that just over and over again, how he, he kept talking about the parting of the Red Sea and how he took them out of Egypt. And honestly, I kept thinking, that story is getting old. How are they gonna you know, continue to praise God with that same story? Um, but it was their story. And um, so yeah, so my story is, um, I um, grew up in a dysfunctional home. <laughs> that's, a, that's a funny term for us. Anyways, where my father specifically of the different things, um, he was an unbeliever and he was in control of everything that we did, um, down to many details, but specifically uh, one of the things, a few of the things that go specifically into my story is, is that um, he controlled what you did in the house. Like when he was in the house, you had to be present where he was. You couldn't be in another room. Um, you know, you could go to the bathroom or whatever, then you needed to be present where he was and, and attending to him and attending to him. So there wasn't um, then studying going on or reading on your own or, or hobbies of any kind. And so then I didn't create or have any hobbies or anything like that. And so it affected, I believe, my study. Yeah, so it affected um, my non-love for reading then, and um, I didn't like to read, um, I didn't like to write, and so um, um, 
so anyways, that'll go into the story in a different way. But one of the oddest things that he um, enforced was Spanish in the home. When everyone else, all the other Hispanic families were encouraging English, um, because both my parents were Mexican, were encouraging English because obviously that's what you need at school, that's what you need for a good job. It was, everyone was focused on the English and my father was again an angry man and was just like no you have to speak Spanish in the house it uh, we are not Americans we are Mexicans we speak Spanish in the home and because of that then I uh, retained so much of my language which most people don't right we we have a lot of experience with that um, the other specific thing was that he um, wanted, I guess, again, that control and for us to stay home. And I don't know if it was in his mind that we would stay there forever. Um, but me being the oldest, when it came time for college, um, he wasn't into that. He didn't want me to go. And, um, but I did have a, uh, a part-time job. And so when it came to college, I wanted to go to the furthest college that I could think of, and that was going to be in Colorado, because it was the only mission trip I'd ever been to. And so I had these grand plans of applying to these different schools. But when it came time to apply, um, then I only had the application fee for one school. In-state, that was only three hours away. I thought that was too close. You could get to me at any time. But that's how it went. And and at that time, um, in the history of our government, um, there was affirmative action. Um, Kennedy, as a president, uh, for a short period of time, he had uh, presented this legislation, affirmative action, which um, created spots um, um, for minorities in the, in the uh, university body. My GPA was good, but again, because of my literacy, then my SATs were not good. And so because of this program was the way that I got into college. They had a special program. And that's how I came to go to UT. So again, I'm not um, good at any like English type anything. I want to do math. I want to do something. I wanted to be a biomedical engineer. Yes. Okay. Yes, exactly, exactly. So um, I start taking these courses. I take pre-calculus. I take these other courses, and I'm so smart in pre-calculus. But comes to calculus, uh, the first, you know, real course, um, I didn't do well in calculus. I went to TA hours. I, I wasn't able to do good. And so with that, then. I, um, I decide that I'm going to go a different route because if you can't do calculus and you're not going to be an engineer, come on. So um, I looked at, at my other things. I remember social work. I was going to do social work, um, but then it was five years of school and I just wanted to do four. And so then I looked into education and even though I didn't like children, yes, this is true, I didn't like children, I, I had the, the credits from high school because I had gone so far in, in Spanish language in high school that I looked into it and it allowed me to get what I felt like it was a more prestigious degree in bilingual education. Bilingual education that at that time 
was existed in Texas but wasn't existing here in California. In those years, it was against the law here. So I could have only studied it in Texas and not, he not here in California. It wasn't time for me to be here yet in California. My story briefly. As a kid, I had exercise-induced asthma. Okay? It's a big deal. You, you think you're going to be a basketball star? You think you're going to play college basketball and you have exercise-induced asthma? It's an issue. Okay? But I would use my inhaler. I'd play my heart out. I'd have an asthma attack. I'd keep going. Right? But maybe because of my asthma, maybe because of my height, maybe because of my skill, I didn't get a college scholarship to play basketball. Okay? You guys can figure out which one you think is correct. <laughs> this is what it's like to tell family stories, okay? So, I don't get a basketball scholarship, but there was North Georgia College, which is a military college, which if you, when you graduate from there, it's the same as West Point. You'd be a second lieutenant in the Army. I get a full scholarship to go to this university. I go down to to the state capitol, I get pictures with the senator, I, everything's great. All I have to do is go sign up with the reserves. I go through school and for four years after school, I'll be in the reserves. They pay for my school, they pay me a monthly stipend. It's like the best, best situation. And as Nidia said, it's prestigious. I go to sign up at the reserves. They're doing my background check. They're looking at my physical. And I remember the sergeant sitting there, he's like, Excuse me? I said, what? Yes, sir. I mean, I said, sir, right? He says, you had asthma? You use an inhaler? Yes, sir. You can't be here. This is a mistake. I said, I've already gotten the scholarship. I've already shook hands with the senator. I've already got this. No, you can't be in the reserves if you have asthma. I said, but... This is the summer. School starts in the fall. I have a full scholarship. What am I going to do? The school stepped in. They said, no, 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 you can come. You don't have to do the reserves. I'm like, this is amazing. I'm going to go. They're going to pay for my tuition, and I don't have to be in the reserves. I'm just going to be in the, in the school and participate in that. I go for the week of basic training. What happens because of my asthma? I can't, I can't keep going. I, I, I do whatever they tell me to do. I, I keep going, I keep going, I keep going. I have an attack, I keep going. By the end of the week, I'm in the hospital bed, dehydrated, with an IV in my arm. My mom and dad come up. And, and as I can remember laying there in that bed, Sorry, I was, I was like, I've got to quit. I've got to stop. I can't do this. Like, I'm helpless to do this. I went home. And after all this work in high school, all this effort, all this desire to get a scholarship to go to school to be had this prestigious place, then I was back at home going to the community college. It broke me. 
From there, I went to the University of Georgia. From there, I wanted to do physical therapy. But while I was there, to get into the medical college, physical therapy went to a master's degree, six years. Occupational therapy was still a bachelor degree, and so I said, I'm doing the four years. So I decided to do occupational therapy, and I went to the medical college of Georgia. And now as we move forward, I want you guys to see from my experience at Medical College of Georgia and Nita's experience at the University of Texas, okay, what, what is the same? What do you see in both of ours? Campus Crusade for Christ. Had either one of us gone to a Campus Crusade for Christ meeting in our entire lives? The answer is no. We had never been to it. it. I didn't even have it on my campus. Nita had never been to it on her campus. But yet through these relationships of different people in different ways, through Campus Crusade that we had never been to, we end up on this project called Summer in the City in Denver, Colorado. And I remember Nita getting out of the car. All right. Exactly. I was a Georgia boy. Who is this Mexican woman? Right? I was, I was overwhelmed. All right? But there, I wasn't there to meet girls. Okay? I was there to serve God. And it was in this urban context. It was uh, urban ministry that we both got to live there for the summer and be involved in different ministries. And it was there that we got this understanding of, of race and of ethnicity and that that has something to do with the gospel and that it, it was overwhelming for us to start to understand that and start to read through the scriptures and be taught that. And of course, what came from that was the Fullers. Okay? That was 1997. I went home, I started saving. This was the one I wanted. She went back to Texas, I went back to Georgia. I saved my money, I bought a ring. But, even though she said yes, I'm in Georgia, she's in Texas, we're both in school, how's this going to happen? Because I had done occupational therapy, and because I was at the Medical College of Georgia, I had to do an internship for 12 weeks. And they approved me for an internship in Austin, Texas, because nobody else wanted to leave the state of Georgia. But I was willing to go to work in a nursing home in Austin, Texas, because my wife or my fiance happened to be there. So we get married, and she continues in her bilingual education. We accrue a lot of debt. A lot of debt. College debt. Me mostly. Me. Me with no parental support. Me with no car. So I could, I could only work on campus and only part-time. So we get done with school and we move to Georgia with our debt and this idea that we're going to go do missions. We get connected with the church, Cumberland Community Church. The reason we're connected with that church is because we were in our first two years of marriage and we were fighting and fighting and fighting a lot. Okay? We had issues, or my wife had issues that I was finding out about, right? We were desperate. We needed help. 
We still need help. But we went to a counselor, being there with that counselor, we decided to go to this church. Going to this church, the pastor was a Scottish immigrant who had immigrated from Scotland to go to Moody Bible Institute. And we go to him saying, we want to go into the mission field. We're ready to go. Let's go. What do we need to do? We were going to go somewhere, serve somewhere, build houses somewhere. That's what we wanted to do. He says, you need to go to school. He says, I'm not going to school. I've just finished school. I'm not going back to school. But he told me about Moody. And then, actually, because of my wife's friend Vanessa that she had met at the University of Texas, then, on a visit to Chicago, I said, well, well, okay, we'll go by and I'll see this campus. I'll do what he's asking me to do because he's probably not going to talk to me more until I do what he's asking me to do. And I'll tell him we're not going to do this. But then we go to do that. I walk out of the counselor's office and I we're doing this. I want to do this. This is what we're going to do. We're going to move to Chicago. We're going to do this. And so, as we moved to Chicago from Atlanta, we're like, we're going to go because of this understanding we had of race, right, that we learned back in the summer where we met. We're going to live in this, this crazily, crazy diverse neighborhood in Chicago. We're going to drop into the city. We're going to go to this diverse church, this multi-ethnic church. We got to Chicago. The churches were segregated. Chicago is segregated. It is extremely diverse, but it is also one of the most segregated cities in the entire country. There's a neighborhood that's Salvadorian. There's a neighborhood that's Mexican. There's a neighborhood that's Polish. There's a neighborhood that's Romanian, right? The nations are there, but the nations are kept in their own neighborhoods, their own streets. And we couldn't find a multi-ethnic church. So, we went to a church just on the edge of the suburbs. And we started to get involved in ministry there. Originally, it was, we didn't want to go there. But it was sort of like, well... Even a small group leader at this church we were trying to go to in the city told us, you guys need to just go there. Going there, we start to get involved in ministry. And the church gets, is given a building further out from Chicago in a city called Elgin. But we decided to go with the church to start this new campus. And because I had been in occupational therapy, I was able to get a job at a hospital in Elgin at the same time that the church moved out. And also, because we had all this school debt, we were going to the mission field. I was still going to Moody. We are going to go to the mission field. But because we had all this school debt, we decided, well, we've been moved out of the city now. We're going to buy a house. Because the smartest thing to do is to buy a house. We'll pay on that for the next few years when I finish school. We'll have the money to pay off our debt, and then we'll go. So we bought a house. Many of you know it took us three years to sell our house after the market goes like this. We were upside down. We had to pay back all this money. We were in further debt. But because my wife had been to UT and done bilingual education, and because I was learning about missions and we were still going to do that, we decide for our kids, they need to start school. But we're going to go on the mission field. 
And we had met Melanie at Harvest at this church in Chicago. And she was a missionary kid. And I was learning about missionary kids and what it was going to be like for my kids to leave here and go out of the country. And we said, well, we need to give them language. So we sent them to a dual language school where they'd learn both Spanish and English. And Melanie was a dual language teacher. And Nidia had met her doing ministry. And then meeting Melanie doing ministry, Emmanuel was with us, and Melanie meets Emmanuel. Or Emmanuel meets Melanie. And I see, I see going to, uh, meeting Melanie, that's the reason we went to Chicago. We had to get her in order to keep going. Yes. And for me, it was love at first sight. When I saw her, I was like, my family right there all over. Absolutely. They, ha they had a romance, but for me, it was love at first sight. <laughs> I'm finishing school. We're ministering at the church. We were going to be a part of this team that was going to go to Argentina to plant a church in Argentina. The church changed directions. They were willing for us to be a part of things, but it needed to be a part of something in, in a white, middle-class neighborhood. That's where it was going to start. That's where we plant. We could minister in different directions after that, but that's what we needed to start with. So here we are with a house we can't sell, a church that doesn't see eye to eye with us and to what God is calling us to do. And so my wife sends out an email to different ministries. One was to Cornerstone and Jose Luis. Did you think that was a good idea for me to send an email? I thought it was a terrible idea. I did not want her to do that. Because it made us look helpless. Right? We were crying out. We were in need. But we were helpless. We didn't know anyone in the whole world. That was how it was when I write letters to, to see him in the Summer and City uh, project in Denver when I meet him. When you do mission trips, you send out letters to get funds people give. But you have to know somebody with money. I didn't even make enough to get there. My parents leave for vacation, had never left for vacation ever before that summer, leave, and I don't have any money, and a stranger drives me to Denver. And so let me finish, okay? There's so much more to tell, and that's what you can probably see, that as we start to tell us, we think about this, we think about that, how this is connected, how that's connected, all these things that we didn't understand that God was using, we look back now and we see how he used that person, that situation, that difficulty. Like the three years that we're waiting for the house to sell, that we're crying in the bed, sure that we had done everything that God had asked us to. We had moved to Chicago where we only have that one friend. That's it. It is cold nine months of the year. We, when I take Karina out to the grass, she doesn't know what to do with it. All that to say is that we're at the end of, of the years that was only supposed to be two. He was only going to study in Chicago for two. His family is waiting for us in Atlanta to, to come back. 
planta para regresar. And at the end of that, eso, our house won't sell. Casa no and we're involved and I remember I had all babies. Even though Britt doesn't tell our kids as part of our story, they're all little. And so I remember when, when you're showing a house, trying to sell a house, they'll call you in less than an hour, the whole house has to be clean. And I'm in a house, is the biggest house that I've ever been in, two stories, a basement, they open the closets. They're going to look at the whole thing. The only place to hide the dirty diapers is under the bed. And I would get all my kids out and, and park at the school next door and watch the people go in and right back out. For three years, I was confused with what God was doing, why was he taking so long? And now I meet the very people that needed this timing to be just so, to come here at a specific time in, in Cornerstone's history and all the folks that were frustrated um, that were looking for a church here. And so we say all that to encourage you. You might feel like you were held hostage to listen to our story. But it's our story of God's faithful love in our lives. And there's so much more to tell. Right? I'm like, oh, we completely should have just stopped and just used the whole service to tell this story. Right? There's so much more I want to tell you. There's so many more people, so many more connections. And how you guys fit into that. And how when we came here and then uh, all the different things that happened and all the different ways that God brought people in, that God br used situations. Like, uh, it's just story after story after story. And my point, and even you guys seeing us walk through that a little bit, is that thinking through that, remembering how faithful God has been, it has encouraged us. And it's given us faith to continue. And as I read this passage in Psalm 107, it's clear we're to tell our stories of God's faithful love. And that I want to encourage us as a body in our household communities. I want to encourage you, if you want to share on a Sunday, to share your testimony, to share, this is my story, this is what God has been doing. We need to hear from each other. We are a multi-ethnic, multi-class, multilingual body. There is so much benefit that we can have by hearing each other's stories that are so different and so unique with such different problems, such different issues, but yet we have the same faithful God. And we can be encouraged by that and we can continue together by faith hearing those stories. I, I, I just want to say that it's God that is, is, is the climax of the story, is the best part. And you have to have a relationship with Him for Him to give you the story because He's the purpose. He's the reason why He is the one that you want to go back and see. 
If you don't know him, then you are suffering without purpose. And your happiness is empty. So our story is him, how he pursued us when we didn't know him. 